Hello everyone, this is episode 14 of the Made of Things podcast. I am your host, Antonio Maria Correa. Uh, we are interrupting the episodes dedicated to Primavera Sound in light of recent events and because this is a very special occasion. I am currently in Brighton, England, on vacation and I'm taking some time off uh, from work in Portugal to visit friends and uh, also I came here to attend the King Crimson concert over at the Brighton Dome. They are possibly my favorite band of all time, along with Pavement, which you might have noticed uh, from earlier interviews I've done, uh, you might. It, it is pretty telling that I'm a big fan of both. So it's really impossible to really choose your favorite bands, you know. But you know, if I had to choose, I would probably say King Crimson and Pavement would be my favorite band, um, or favorite, or favorite top one bands. The number one band. So King Crimson were on hiatus for about 10 years and just came back as version number 8 or so of the band uh, with a formation including the mastermind Robert Fripp with Jako Jakšić on uh, vocals and guitar, uh, Tony Levin on bass, Mel Collins on sax and other sorts of brass and no less than three drummers. These would be uh, Gavin Harrison, Bill Rifflin and Pat Masolato, who is the only member, apart from Robert, to carry on from the previous formation. Now, King Crimson are only playing nine dates in the UK and when I went to buy the ticket back in March, both London shows were already sold out, so I managed to get the last remaining ticket to Brighton um, on the last, I guess, of available opportunity so that was very lucky indeed on my on my part um, so I guess I would say that in the end that was good timing I don't know so since I was flying over from Portugal to see the show and stay with my friends I figured that this would be the perfect timing again uh, to ask one of the members of King Crimson to be a guest here on Made of Things uh, of course this was never going to be Robert because uh, Robert Fripp uh, because uh, I think pretty much has for a long time only done interviews Interviews with Sid Smith, who is the official biographer for the band. So I contacted Pat Masolato and we set this up for the night after the show, which was going to be a good idea as well, since uh, I was trying not to hear any of the new version of King Crimson uh, before the show, so that I could take in the Brighton concert uh, in as much. Uh, as I could without any sort of expectations. So the show was of course amazing and uh, by the first number I was already virtually in tears. The set list was something close to, uh, I'll get my notes, but um, songs and Aspect Part 1, Pictures of a City, Meltdown, which is a new song, then a drum solo, which I'm pretty sure has um, a name, but I don't. I'm not. I something action. I think I'm not so sure. Uh, we'll have this confirmed in the future. Um, the construction of light, without any singing, without the, the singing part. A level five, easy money, uh, epitaph, the letters, sailor's tale, lark's tongues in aspect part two, and starless. Then the guys went on to do an encore, with starting with another drum solo, and these are composed pieces, so it's not like ad-libbing, but this was mostly Gavin, and uh, in the court of the Crimson King, and they finished with 21st Century Schizoid Man. Now, what you must understand is that uh, King Crimson have barely played any material previous to 1980 in the past couple of decades. Uh, I had seen the band live twice before, back in 2002 in Madrid, and I think 
possibly 2001, and 2003 in Rome, so I was perfectly convinced I would never see the original band playing gold material in my lifetime uh, ever again. So, uh, and I'm only 34, so um, I hadn't really had any chance whatsoever to see the band before that, especially because they never came to Portugal, only in like 1982, and I was of course one year old. So, so when I realized in the first few seconds that the first song in the show is Lark's One, Goosebumps started coming up and my eyes began welling up as well. So, you know, as this was my first favorite King Crimson song ever, you know, never in a million years did I ever expect them to play this or did I ever expect to see this live at all. A few more instances of this happened with, you know, Goosebumps and Teary Eyes, um, namely on um, uh, Easy Money. And uh, Larks 2 also, and Sailor's Tale. All of them fantastically played with the new versions. The show was a massive success, with very impressive drumming as well, to boot. And standing ovations were recurrent, as the concert really was something for which to be in awe. And it really sets itself up as a goodbye for the band, or and for the band as well. Uh, I mean, you know, Robert is going on 70 now, and probably is not willing to tour anymore in his life. So here is my thank you to Robert and everyone else in the band for making this happen for the King Crimson admirers. I can speak, I think, on behalf of all the thousands of people attending. And, um, and all the thousands of people attending not only this show, but all the other shows as well, because I'm pretty sure they're all amazing shows. I met Pat Masolato the next day, uh, and he couldn't really have been any nicer. Uh, Pat even gave me gifts. I'm not, I'm not going to tell which gifts he gave me, because for the sake of privacy. But um, he did not, of course, need to do anything uh, like this. Uh, just out of, he's just a really nice guy. And um, so, you know, don't go around expecting any gifts, I would say, uh, <laughs> if you meet Pat. Um, Pat was in a bit of a rush, as King Crimson are a very punctual band. And and needed to run off to London on the day. So this episode isn't going to be very long, as we were unable to do a very long interview. But I do hope that one day Pat and I will meet again, so that we can talk much more about all the things that I was unable to ask in this interview. I have... Uh, I, I would go on for five hours, man. If, if I could. You know. Now, you might notice that there is barely any elements of comedy on this show, and this is because, you know, I'm such a huge fan of King Crimson that I will refrain from being silly and, like, wasting your time with uh, kind of sketches of material, I guess, or some more lyrical comedy. Um, and I will simply stay in my reverence for the material uh, that the King Crimson uh, archive has to offer, and the band, and the guys. So this does not mean, however, that I disrespect any other people I've interviewed on other, any other previous episodes. You know, I'm just in Brighton, and, uh, and uh, this is... This has way enough material just for an episode for me to talk about before the actual interview. I should, however, uh, give you a little background on Pat Masolato, even though you know his resume is very extensive. So I'll try to keep this as short as I can, but he was a founding member of the 80s pop band Mr. Mister, and also played drums for a wide range of artists, but you can look that up online if you want. Mainly what you need to know here is that Pat played on a King Crimson-related act before joining the 
the band, this being the wonderful collaboration between David Sylvian and Robert Fripp in the early 90s. They have a, a couple of amazing records uh, out that you should listen to. Pat also played in the California Guitar Trio and the King Crimson Projects, which are really amazing if you're into improvised music as well. So check those out. They have a box set that I got back in the late 90s or whatever, or something. And yeah, back in the late 90s. And uh, I listened to that a lot back in the day. Um, Pat joined King Crimson in 1994 and has been a standing member ever since. He was the drummer of the band when I caught them live on those two occasions I mentioned back in Madrid and Rome. And his drumming in Crimson was simply unbelievable. And I still remember it quite Quite vividly to this day. Pat has also played with TU and KTU with a former Crimson member, the amazing touch guitar player and war guitar player in stick, uh, Trey Gunn, and also with Kimo Poyanen and Samuli Kosminen playing on those acts on TU and KTU. And they've played Portugal. We addressed that in the interview. Uh, we talk a lot about Portugal in the interview, by the way. So this might mean a lot to you if you're Portuguese. Pat also works with other brilliant musicians such as in Tuner with Marcus Reuter, uh, Marcus Reuter, who also plays the touch guitar, and uh, with whom he also plays in Stickman, joined by Tone 11 of uh, King Crimson. Pat also plays with Tony in Hobolima, where they are joined by Terry Basio and Alan Holdsworth, and more recently he has played with another amazing drummer called Tobias Ralph, um, who also plays in Adrian Blue's Power Trio, by the way, who I saw live back in 2010 when I interviewed Adrian, and that was another amazing moment for me, having, you know, talked with Adrian Blue of King Crimson. And Pat uh, has this thing with Tobias Ralph called Toparama, which is quite recent. And, and I was trying to keep this short, but, you know, I should mention still that uh, Pat has a project uh, of recent time, of, of this year, actually, of 2015, that I should point out called uh, Comara, with David Collar and uh, Paolo Ranieri, uh, which you should definitely check out. The album's cover also was done by Adam Jones of Tool. So, phew, uh, after all of that, I just wanted again to thank Pat for having been absolutely wonderful with me and that I would really love to get the chance to do this again to a deeper extent one day. Uh, but here you are, guys. This is my conversation with Pat Masolato of the absolute best, King Crimson. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, in a rush because you're leaving, right? Yeah. Yeah, we have a lobby call pretty quick, and I have a bar tab to take care of and some other things, and oh. this is not the fastest hotel. You see the ele- Did you take the elevator? Uh, no, I didn't. Really slow. I take the stairs. Yeah, exactly. That's. I think it's, it's telling There's that I took the stairs. elevators and two are broken, uh-huh. so, you know, it looks like a nice hotel, but the staff and things, it's not that well organized, so. So this is not hotel acceptable, then? No, it's a great hotel. <laughs> I mean, it all depends on your standard, but, you know, when I tour with Tony, with Stickmen, with so many other bands with Comora, come on, we're, we're in shitty hotels, we're in a travel lodge, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. So. I mean, I was just playing because uh, on the uh, usual uh, nomenclature of Robert when he speak, when he's yes, type, typing in the I know, I know exactly, hotel acceptable and this and that, I absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah. know, hotel with a view and all those things, yeah, for many years. <laughs> sure, sure. No, because it is King Crimson, uh, it's a better standard of living because Robert uh-huh. Uh-huh. needs that and so... Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so it, it transcends through the whole band and crew. Oh, and uh, has it always been like that? Well, no, he suffered in the 60s and 70s. He was in Holiday Inns bouncing in the back of a van, you know. He's done this for 50, 60 years. We all have, so. I mean, I, I meant with you in the band, I mean. Um, well, I've been in the band since 94, so the band had a reputation and did, you know, a, a better caliber of gigs ever since then. Um, but it's, it's you know, when it's a bad hotel or a bad venue or bad food, you just think, tomorrow I'm... Out of here. <laughs> it's just one day, so it's not that you know. It's not that much suffering. Uh, 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 and this is nice, though. This is yeah, a, dude. This has a great view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm on the beach in Brighton. I'm across the street from whatever beach that is in uh, the Brighton Beach, I guess. And uh, only about a 10 minute walk to the venue, so I could walk back and forth yesterday. I like that instead of taking a van or a car or bus, just be able to go on my own and. Mm -hmm. And the times you stayed in Portugal, I should ask because this is uh, in the end like a Portuguese uh, podcast, but not necessarily, I guess. But you know, it's, I, I, I would hope not. The times I, you stayed in Portugal, yeah. uh, did you get the chance to visit anything? Um, yeah, I mean, um, let me think. I, I didn't play Portugal for a long time. I think the first time I played Portugal was all the way till about 2004 mm -hmm. with K2, with Kimo Pahoan and Trey and Samuli was in the band mm -hmm. then. And we played in uh, Sinus, you call it Sinus or yeah. Sines, yeah. Sinus. And um, uh, so we had maybe three days there. Um, the guys, we nice. took bicycles and we went down on the coast. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know the name of the next town south. Um, um, south of Sinus, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, so we went down there, came back, and then uh, Carlos, the promoter, was really sweet man he invited me immediately back um k2 was busy other bands were busy and he said we'll just come and do a drum clinic wow. so I, i came a following year or maybe two years later i'm not exactly sure uh -huh. And uh, I brought my wife, so we stayed. I said, "This is a beautiful place. You're going to just love it." And we never we had we weren't married then. We were just dating, and we we both have kids, so there's no time to be alone. So the only time to be alone with this girlfriend was say, "Hey, will you go to Europe with me?" And we have three days, five days in Portugal. And um, man, she loved it. She loved it. We were sitting in the beach uh, and seeing us and. She remembers it really well because, you know, the orange juice is coming down fresh on the beach and the mojitos and we had some wine and uh, the guy has got fresh bread he's cutting and fresh cheese and she says, oh my God, you live this life every day? And I said, well, not exactly every day, you know. Um, Yeah, yeah, I ate all the cheese in that little town, <laughs> the sheep cheese. The sheep cheese comes on maybe on a Thursday, you know, and by Monday or it's all gone. But even when I'm there on Saturday, it's like there's none left. And the guy goes, you ate all of it. <laughs> no all cheese the, after bath. In that, in, yeah. that, in that area, yeah. Well. And I've gone with... Uh, K2 came again a few years later mm -hmm. without uh, Sammy. We were just a three-piece. Um, I was there with uh, California Guitar Trio. We come into Porto and we play up in the mountains. Giovanno? It's a Port Music Fest mm -hmm. up in the mountain. Oh, um, Gouveia. Gouveia. Yeah. And I did that gig about three times. Mm -hmm. uh, they invited me back, so I did it once uh, with California Guitar Trio, once with... Isilaris Bane, once with Stickman. Mm -hmm. um, Stickman also played Lisbon kind of recently, yeah, we right? Lisbon two or three times, um, and also with Christabel. We came a few times mm -hmm. and played some of the same clubs. I don't remember the club that's next to it. It has Texas on the back. It's in the by all the little uh, sailor bars. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's a nice rock club uh -huh. underneath uh, the overpass. Uh, 
Uh, I can't think of the name of it, okay, but I played okay, there maybe four okay. times. It feels like home. Uh-huh. I, oh, oh, awesome. I, I remember I remember you guys playing at the Santiago Alquimista, I think, which is like this venue with this, uh, oh, you know, uh, it's near the castle. It's uh, oh, uh, oh, Maybe I'm mistaken, though. Well, that's what I remember now that I think of it, too. In Lisbon, I stayed extra days once. Oh, we played in Cascasa. Cascais. Uh, Cascais. Yeah, we played there. I work in Cascais, actually. Okay. Yeah. We played there with, uh, with K2 also. That was a really great gig. And I brought my wife. That must have been the same time that I went to do the drum clinic. Uh-huh. So I had my wife. And then we stayed afterwards in uh, Chardo. Chardo? Uh, Chiado. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right yeah. downtown. Wow, nice. And uh, we went up, of course, to the to the fortress, whatever uh-huh. you call up there, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Lisbon reminds me a little bit of this, actually, in San Francisco. A lot of San Francisco. I'm from Northern California. Mm-hmm. Oh. So I always get that feeling, that vibe when I'm in Lisbon and Portugal. Oh, and uh, I played also in Armada. Yeah, Armada. Across, yeah. we played with Porcupine Tree. Oh, um, okay. And also with Christabel, we play sometimes... It's like kind of a posh disco, the Roxy, something like that. Um, it's in Almada. In Almada, I have no idea. Very posh. Uh, <laughs> oh. She's glamour girl. So uh, <laughs> we also play some funky clubs, but she did some theaters. Um, yeah, I can't think what the name is, but you would know. It's uh-huh. multiple levels and discotheque, and you go up on the on the roof and have a beautiful view no and idea. really great furniture. In fact, some of the uh-huh. DJs we hung with these DJs. Mm-hmm. What was that guy's name? He's Belgian guy, very famous in Portugal. Oh, the uh, too many DJs. Yeah. Yeah, the um, uh, Stephen. Uh, funny I've, name. I, He's yes. got a. Uh, uh, the brothers. Uh, if I, yes, Stefan, uh, Stephen, or Stephen. Uh, they're. I think the, the, the only Belgian ones I remember are too many DJs because they have this band called Soulwax. Maybe they're. they're, they're maybe that's these guys. Maybe that's these guys. Yeah. There was a couple of brothers. Maybe they were but, friends of uh, of Rodrigo Castro, another guy I was there with. Okay. And Rodrigo said, "We gotta go see my buddy, man." Okay, so, okay. I'm, we're maybe maybe I'm totally mistaken, and it's not too many DJs because they're you know they're a, huge. A weird partial. name because I saw him DJ twice. Once I knew him, then I see him at another club later. Uh, he's like ultimate wacko or something. He's got <laughs> like a name, like a crazy name, you know, <laughs> sure. the Incredible Jimbo or sure, something. Sure, uh, yeah. yeah. It's it's funny that you have so many. Uh, I'm sorry. This Denver's? is very. I, I yes, uh, I, this is very early for me because I never, I never, have never done a podcast uh, quite this early. So you just so you know, cause, okay. but but uh, so I'm just kind of waking up still. Kind of, I guess. Too, man. Uh, yeah, I know, yeah. I know, but you're much more eloquent than I am. <laughs> uh, but there you go. Uh, what I meant was, uh, it's funny that you have so many memories of Portugal because I had no idea. You know, it's, it's it seems like an endless box, I guess. Yeah, all within ten years. Wow. I never played there in the seventies, eighties, nineties, ever. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So, what, what does it feel like coming back with King Crimson now? Because last night was amazing, and uh, this is the third time I've seen King Crimson. Uh, the first one was in Madrid, I think, two thousand one or two thousand two. I don't know. I traveled specifically with a friend of mine, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, went to uh, and was living in Rome when you played there the next year, I think, two thousand three, and watched that show as well. And uh, now this is my third time watching King Crimson, and it seems like. As it always does, like a new entity, 
does it feel like yeah. that to you as oh, well? Yeah, it's totally a new band now, a new direction. Um, Adrian Blue is not involved in this version of King Crimson. We're now seven people in the band. Uh, the lead singer is, is Jocko, whose last name I can't pronounce. Jocko Jockman. Uh, <laughs> Tony Levin's back in the band. Mel Collins is in the band. He hadn't been in the band since 1972. He's fucking amazing. I mean, you heard last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have three drummers: Gavin Harrison, uh, Bill Rieflin, and myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm on. We're in the front, as you saw last mm-hmm. night. We're not. The drummers are in the front, um, with the other guitar and saxophone behind us, up on a riser. So Mel Collins is right behind me. So I get to hear Mel. It was his birthday last <laughs> night. Oh, I know. I yeah, know. it was great. It was great. He's a treasure. Happy birthday to Mel from us. Yeah. Yeah. And if you saw the band in 2000, that was a you know in the 90s when I was invited into Crimson, it was a double trio. So it was Bill Bruford and I on drums and uh, Tony Levin and Trey Gunn on on bass and stick and then Adrian and Robert on guitars and then when he reformed in 2000 he invited Trey and I to stay Robert, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So we made the first record. Robert wanted only electronic drums. So mm-hmm. when you saw us in 2000, perhaps that was completely all V drums and some other electronic stuff I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, he gradually accepted the idea of bringing acoustic instrument back into the drum arsenal. Mm-hmm. So that's unfortunately kind of why I have so much crap, so much because <laughs> I'm trying to cover both those, uh, you know, both those categories sure. of giving him the electronica he needs as well as acoustic visceral drumming that I need uh, <laughs> uh, so by 2003 it was probably a much more powerful show much more dynamic I bet um, no yeah it was it was because yeah, it was less r- real yeah. drums we had real drums and we had played together for a year or two we had more material and uh, actually I think in 2000 Robert said we would not do any material uh, older than 1995 so we didn't yeah. do anything like red we did a lot of improvising on mm-hmm. that tour uh, this particular tour, we don't do almost any improvising right now. Uh, we just introduce. Well, we do a lot of older material. You heard stuff from '69 yeah, yeah. that I never expected he would do. And uh, or did you ever expect to play it at all? No, 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 no. He he would say before that the band would never play those songs ever again. Um, and and now we've just introduced Easy Money, Epitaph, Core of the Crimson King, and Easy Money is really great because it kind of can be a springboard for an improvisation. So now we have a little air where we can go wherever it takes us for a little bit so that was fun I love easy money I, I was almost too. in tears I do too like I was I, I to myself look I look at my skin see, <laughs> I mean you see they're called yeah. goosebumps and, and they're, oh. they're totally real um, oh yeah, yeah you asked me what it feels like uh-huh. to play in the band I saw the band in 1974 um, a few times I saw them in the 80s yeah. uh, they were like my favorite band since I'm a little boy Beatles Hendrix Crimson they're the people you know um And uh, so um, it gets very emotional for me, actually, on stage. I start to cry. I get a lump in my throat. I get these goosebumps. Last night it was Epitaph. I was just like, fuck, uh, really hard. And um, you're yeah. teary-eyed right now. So just so you know, so for the listeners to know, like the goosebumps are real. I know. I can tell. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't fake it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, it's amazing. It's amazing. No, it's seriously. T- I I understand because for me last night, easy, easy money. Like uh, uh, Lar- Lar- you started with Larks One. Yes. it's insane. It's like yeah. my favorite song. I yeah. think yeah. it's. Uh, a I was complicated piece of music to play. It, and it, so it, dynamic. It, you know, it's uh-huh. it's a whisper when it starts <laughs> and when it ends with the Glockenspiels and with Mills yeah. flute. Yeah. It's like wow. And we hadn't played Larks Two for several days. We played it last night, uh-huh. um, first time, and we didn't proceed it with Talking Drum. Mm-hmm. We have enough material now that we can change the set. Uh-huh. When do you decide that? 
Um, each day. Okay. Yeah, Robert or um, oh, Robert. I got a buzz, but it's it's. Yeah, yeah. I got a couple more minutes. Okay. Um, yeah, Robert. The whole band participates a little bit because. Um, well, you have to take in consideration what instrument is Tony playing. Is he on a stick? Does he need time to change to a bass? How are we going to... So, at first, the set lists were a little bit awkward because uh, we, we had gaps, and uh, Robert doesn't want Jocko to speak. So there's no... If you notice, there's no in, interaction with the audience at, at all. all. At all. None. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we provided... He asked me to provide dialogue. So I didn't do it last night because we had a good set flow, and the audience applauded. We had good energy. But some gigs, the first couple gigs... Uh, in Allsbury, we finish and it's quiet. So I will put in old interviews uh, and I chop up the interview guy. Uh, some of these interviews are pretty foolish anyway, old interviews. Sure, and, sure. Um, so so it's, it's triggering these uh, these audio bits yeah, that yeah. you hear during the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Ro Robert, uh, I prepared some. I had some very nice long interviews where Robert and Bruford and John Wetton and Greg Lake explained things about Crimson, but Robert didn't want to use those. I prepared these originally last year in America for the tour and he said what I enjoy is the interviewer's question so we just make the questions I edit them together maybe change the guy's voice a little bit um That's, that's funny because because uh, uh, I read a lot of Robert Robert Fripp interviews on the early internet days at least, and uh, I read a lot of them. And at that point, at, at least until like the eighties, he seemed kind of um, like bored with interviewers. It seems because no one was. It seemed like they were asking the wrong questions often. You know, yeah. like because because syntax is important and semantics are very important. And Robert seemed to be annoyed by stuff like that, you know, by wrong usage of language, I mean. Yeah, yeah, Robert's use of the language is very good. So, and, it, so and it's Bill, funny that said he... Bill, Bill yeah. Bruford also, very, very good command of the language. <laughs> um, so it's funny that he would choose questions, that's what well, I mean. Well, it's redundant. You get these same questions so often, and, and in Robert's world, they're more academic. Everything, you know, everything's all scholarly, you know. I can, as an example, like when I was in a pop band like Mr. Mister, all the questions would always be, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? It's like... Come on, really? That's that's about you know, uh -huh. like when you do ten interviews a day. Uh -huh. Literally, sometimes that would what used to happen with uh -huh. with a pop band. Uh -huh. You're grabbing for every chance you can to get, uh, even for me to have you here because I'm trying to help my other project that has no publicist, no, no. budget, no. Sure, sure. Um, but it's different with Crim Crimson. Crimson has uh, doesn't really need a publicist. We don't even have a website. You know that for sure. King Crimson there isn't a website. Um, somebody poached the name KingCrimson.com and and. When oh. the band decided they wanted it 10 or 15 years ago, the guy said, I want so much money. And Robert said, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, we don't need it. You just keep it, and, you know. So, um, I didn't know. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Okay, okay. yeah, that, yeah, yeah. But for instance, my job as an interviewer is exactly you were saying. Like, I do a lot of interviews. And my my job as an interviewer is to get, like, of, of course, is to create empathy. and But but uh, also to uh, try to get people not to answer the same questions all the time, you know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can, it's, there's stuff you can't really avoid. But you know, it's, artists like to be made to think. That's what I think. And that's what I believe. You know, so so it's my job to ask things that are you know, or have a conversation in which you talk about things that you don't usually 
you know talk about we can hope so, you know yeah, i mean i mean you're a pusher in a way you're the one trying to <laughs> yeah. help help you know move music mm-hmm. to uh you know in a guy in your position you're kind of a trendsetter that you latch onto things you think are cool and you're trying to share them with other people and the way the music business is now it's just uh, we're like locusts musicians have just covered the globe there's mm-hmm. no there's no fruit left mm-hmm. you know everybody yeah. everything's been eaten mm-hmm. so um uh, for a baby band coming up or for my little projects uh it's 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 difficult just like you know it's really you're just starting like everybody else mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay one last thing i need oh so how did you guys uh, decide um because uh, the drum uh, patterns seem to be sometimes kind of uh, instead of being the role of just one person it seemed to be scattered through three drummers so how did you decide to to uh, what was the criteria of of because uh, it swings from some you made it yeah. very clear yeah. that Swings from 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 you to to from uh, for instance Gavin to Bill to you or sometimes the other way around. It goes in every order you can imagine, uh-huh. and we worked really hard on it because uh-huh. when Robert had this idea to have three drummers, that's all he had. He didn't have any idea how he wanted to use it. So when I talked with Gavin and Bill, I said, "Well, what are we going to do?" And we we immediately, as quick as we can, we start to make demos and send emails, and then we got together just the drummers for a week and and prepared ideas and had conversations. We worked three days just on level five uh-huh. and two days on uh, constructional light uh-huh. and that was the first week. <laughs> and then we, and, and that was, you know, I was on my way to another gig so I didn't have to have them pay for my flight but we rehearsed uh-huh. in London. I live in Texas. Reeflin lives in Seattle oh. and Gavin lives in London. So I was on my way to Sweden for a gig but it gets expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. So we have many drummer rehearsals um, uh-huh. and we make plans and um, we try to use everybody's strength and we try to pass the ball around a lot Um and um, we're always kind of trying to nest inside of each other's mm-hmm. parts. So a lot of the, the drum pieces you saw, we do we, we have many drum pieces yes. now. Yes. And they're not jams, man. They're, you know, you saw, they're no. very orchestrated. Very tight. Um, yeah. Well, we hope they're tight, but they're mathematically formulated. Um, uh, uh, I'm going to play in seven for 18 bars. Gavin's going to play in nine for uh, seven, 14 bars. And, Bill's in, and the math brings us all back together. And then we go on to the next thing. And we we try to have dynamics. We try to make great compositions, um, not just a drum mania. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, three drummers can get it could get totally sloppy. Sure, so we sure. don't want it to be sloppy. And Bill Reefen plays keyboards, so sometimes that's the best way to use Bill is put him on the mellotron. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I really like when guys that came to the, some of the first gigs, they said, man, I love it when you do the Wimbledon. So what are you talking about? I said, when you, when you hit that ball all the way over and Gavin hits it back, you know, no. so that you hear the drum fills <laughs> okay. that we're, we're throwing all the way side uh-huh. to side like that. And it gets very nuancy now because we, we, we listen. And Gavin's got great ears. Mm-hmm. So you hear things that accidentally happen, and you grab them, and you answer them. And um, so you know it's maybe 80 or 90% uh, written and prepared, but uh-huh. there's always places that accidents happen and there's also places that we we put specifics at this moment uh, will respond to each other whatever Pat does Bill will answer, then Gavin will answer. Uh-huh. So we know it'll go in a cycle. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it's, uh, Wimbledon is a funny image, though. <laughs> and and yeah. I thought I, to myself last night, I was thinking, this is a beast in a suit, really. That's what it is. Yeah. You know, like this, you, you get dressed up for uh, the name is perfect, an evening with King Crimson, because you get it. You know, like when when I w- I finally got it last night because I hadn't seen any of the new King Crimson. Uh-huh. Uh, kind of saving myself for this show. Uh, but uh, even though there's not hardly anything available, there's YouTube and stuff like that uh, but but still I got why Adrian wasn't in the band you know it's a new thing 
You know, because yeah. uh, I've, I've seen Adrian. I've interviewed Adrian. He's great, He's man. He's awesome. amazing. We love Adrian. I'm playing, I played with him like three weeks ago, four weeks ago. We, oh, yeah, just before the very, the very next day I come to King Crimson. Mm-hmm. So some of the same songs I'm playing with Adrian in a different arrangement, a different tempo, and then I come here and play them, you know, with the other band. Um, and his version of Crimson songs is amazing. His yeah. show is amazing. It's, it's a little bit awkward, I think, that we completely bypass that era right now uh-huh. on the tour. We don't, you saw, we don't do anything from uh-huh. the 80s and 90s. We sure. do very. We do uh, one or two, like we did construction yeah, light, but we changed the d- ending. D- didn't you do Larks Four? No. No. What, what was that? Then Vroom was uh, last night. We do do Vroom, but we didn't do it last night. What was the, the one? The, the 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 more recent one. The very very intricate. Uh, level five. Level five. Yeah. Level yeah, five. That's, that's it, yeah, that's yeah. 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 Uh, but those Larks Four predominantly instrumental songs. Uh-huh. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, Because uh, this, this is a huge dent in my King Crimson credibility because uh, <laughs> I just did not recognize a song because I had the whole set list. But, you know, it's the memories that you have of things. online where people uh-huh. uh, say we play Thrack or we play this that we didn't play. Oh, it was, uh, so it was level five. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Because I listened to the album like... Uh, uh, the level five could have been called Lark's Tongue and Aspic Part five or six sure. or nine or it, it just stayed level five. Because it, it seems Larky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, but Um, sometimes, because I used to listen to those records like in straight settings, so sometimes I don't remember exactly the names of the yeah. songs, so it's hard yeah, to recognize. Says, I'm going to have to go now. No, no, sure, sure, of course. Instrumental songs, especially even for me, when I learn people's songs, if, if it's got a lyric, I can remember it. But mm-hmm. if it doesn't, then I can't remember. I remember the tempo. I remember the song when I hear it, but I can't remember when they say, "Let's play." Sure, know. sure, sure, sure. Like on 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 the click of a finger. I mean. I'm snapping your <laughs> finger. Okay, man, I'm, d- I'm going to set this off. Okay. That was it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Pat Masolato. Uh, even though I got level 5 mixed up with Larkson's and Aspect Part 4. Uh, but hey, what can you do, you know? They're like cousin pieces or whatever. Okay, so uh, I also ended up not posting another episode last week, as promised. So uh, that should teach me not to promise stuff, you know, I cannot keep. Hmm. But we might be doing a double episode week soon, so please subscribe to Made of Things on iTunes and uh, follow us on Twitter at Made of Things Pod and Instagram at Made of Things. These work kind of like a list uh, of things, like Instagram is like a list of, of the episodes, pretty much. But on Twitter, I'm, I go around and say some weird stuff so uh, but if you'd rather download the episodes then just go on the made of things pod site on wordpress they're very easily downloadable just click on click on download download that doesn't work thanks for listening guys and i'll get back to you when i return from brighton see ya